Hello, and welcome to the Tommyknocker Tapes. My name is Michael Bouchard, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Sam Gregory. Sam is a Denver staple, especially at the Denver Center Theater Company, where he's done over 40 productions since 92, I believe, uh, which range from drama to comedy to Shakespeare to farce. He's really sort of a theater Swiss army knife. Um, speaking of Shakespeare, he's done over 30 productions with the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. He's worked at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. He'll soon be appearing at Curious Theater in White Guy on a Bus, so keep a lookout for that if you're in the region. Uh, I've had the pleasure of working with him at the Boulder Ensemble Theater Company. And elsewhere around the country, he's worked at Seattle Repertory Theater, Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park, Milwaukee Repertory Theater, Cleveland Playhouse, San Jose Rep, uh, California Shakespeare Festival, just to name a few. Now, Sam, for me, is a consummate actor's actor, and I can't wait for you guys to hear what he has to say. So without further ado... I give you Sam Gregory. Okay, I am here with Sam Gregory. Hi, Sam. Hi. <laughs> uh, and I want to start off with asking you a question that's kind of near and dear to my heart, and it's whether or not the theater has remained vital. Has it, has it lost some of its cultural importance, or has it regained it or modified it? I don't know. You tell me. And I think it's a, it's a great question, and obviously... It, the answer will depend on who you ask. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, you know, I had to sort of think about that because I thought, well, what is vital? What does that mean? And for me, that's, you know, is it n essential? Is it incredibly necessary? Mm -hmm. And sort of the other shade of it is, is it, is it, is, is it alive? You know, is it lively? Right. So, um, and, and I think actually that it is. Um, generally, it looks like, you know, theaters... Uh, uh, theater, it's, it reminds me of there's a scene in Tootsie where Dustin Hoffman is teaching his class of actors and he tells them all, you know, theater's always hard, it's always been hard for actors and it's always getting worse. And it's true, it's always hard. <laughs> they always say, God, it's terrible now and right. it's getting so much worse. And I, I, and I feel like that's what is always said and you always hear about theaters dying. And on the other hand, you know, there's quiet little stories of theaters building new facilities and increasing their budgets and right. paying their actors more. But in general, in terms of the entire United States, I think that theater is more and more becoming an obvious niche. The disappearance of 3D TVs, which they were trying to tout, or the sort of the fact that 3D movies, which were supposed to be sort of this in the wave of the future, have kind of taken a side. They're, they're a sideline. They released the movie both in 2D and 3D at the same time because people don't necessarily need to see it in 3D. Right. And ultimately, theater is the ultimate 3D experience. <laughs> You know, you're, you're in the space with live bodies sharing the air. Mm -hmm. And that can't be replicated by the movies. It can't. Right. It is the one thing that theater, which is this tiny little budgeted, small little niche thing, has going over any other art form. Mm -hmm. The live person in the live space. And that makes it vital. And that makes it essential and alive. Truly, by definition, alive. So, yeah, I think theater is, is still vital. Great. Yeah, in, a, in, a, in its niche. As an actor, that's lovely to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Um, and I did want to ask now kind of uh, other what-can-I-steal-from-you questions, and this is probably one of my favorites, is what do you, how do you spend your time prepping? Every actor seems to have like a thing, like I'm going to go in a shower, or not in a shower, memorize, <laughs> in a bath and memorize lines with a glass of wine, or I do in a coffee shop or in a cave, or I don't know. Um, what, is, what is your particular prep for just a general show? We're responsible for the trees, you know. The director's responsible for the forest. Right. So my, my focus is on the particular tree that I'm playing. Uh -huh. um, and so it's really all about 
character. And uh, I, I tend to read the script once or twice, three times through, to see, just in general, just to kind of see, what does my character say? What does he say about himself? What does he say about other people? What does he want? Second time through, I sort of see what other people are saying about the character. What do they think about him? And then in general, the third time, you know, sort of through, just kind of see, really, do those things hold up? Do they add up? Does what the characters say and what other people say about him add up? Uh And then memorize memorize lines, sit around on on this couch. I generally like to have the cat on me. You know, he helps (laughs) me memorize. Okay. And then... um, so do you do it just kind of by rote? Yes. Okay, so it's there. You don't have like a mnemonic trick or anything no. like that. It is. But eventually, you know, sometimes it comes down to that. Sometimes, it's, sometimes if a, if a line is elusive or tricky, sometimes it comes down to is this you know A B C D or is right. it D C B? You know, there's sort of ways to sort of get those lines in initially before okay. you have a chance of getting up and connecting it with an action and connecting it with the people you're working with. Right. But aside from lines, it really is sort of an exploration of character. So once you know, that work is being done in the play, then I sort of look outward. Is there somebody in the world mm-hmm. who reminds me of that person? Some specific person that, that really reminds me distinctly of that person. If there is, that's a great, that's a great wealth of, of information to borrow from. Um, and if not, is there an animal? Is there, is there a cartoon character? Is there something out there that is very, very similar or, in fact, is this character? Mm-hmm. And then I sort of try to incorporate those elements into working on the piece. Of the actors that are beloved to you, that you have shared the stage with, that you thought knew what they were doing, what are the tips and tricks and habits that they had that sort of set them apart? I think the, the approach that I've seen that I've admired most and not been able to replicate, uh-huh. well, and, but try, is that they're able to approach whatever script or style from a neutral place. Like, they don't come out, they don't go to the play and go, here's how I do a play. I do X, Y, Z, and whatever. Uh-huh. Um, they look at the they, they they approach the play from a from a neutral place and say, "What is the script requiring of me?" Uh, if it's a farce, that's different from a comedy of manners, which is different from a situational comedy. Right. You know, how, how am I? What is required of me? And can I come at it from a place of neutrality? So I don't bring my preconceived ideas, right. and I don't bring what I did the last show that worked. Mm-hmm. or And I don't have this set of preconceived, this is how it's going to be. The actors I really admire seem to be able to jettison stuff they've right. done before and approach it from what is required of that piece for that play. Do you think their way of finding out what is required of them is something they get, like they glean themselves from a script, or is it something that they get from a director? Oh, I, I think Both. it's a combination, but I think initially, particularly because you have to work now in the theater, you have to work so much before you get in rehearsal because right. rehearsal time is being reduced and reduced. <laughs> yeah. So it, it really is sort of what is, what is, what is the play telling them? Mm-hmm. And, and are, they able to, are they able to listen to what the playwright is asking right. and the play and the style and let go of, well, it worked when I did this and right. if I make that face and if I do this, you know. Is there a way to get to that, do you think? Because I know you said you had yeah. difficulty with it. Is it something of just, like, ha- I've read 10,000 plays, I get yeah, it now? I don't know. It... I, I mean, I work on it. I struggle with it. And I, w- I, th- I don't know what it is. Because time is a factor that's in, the, in theater that is um, stressful. And as you get older, mm-hmm. the, the, the shortened time and the less amount of rehearsal and the, all that increases anxiety. Right. And, and, and makes an actor want to default to what he knows works. Because it's faster, yeah. Yeah, and you know it works. Okay, right. That, if I do that there and that there, and I slip right. on the banana peel there, whatever. <laughs> yes. So more and more, it takes more courage 
to be able to go, I'm not going to do those things. I'm going to let this script tell me what to do. And yeah, I think experience and, and confidence and having done, say, 20 different styles and 20 different authors, mm-hmm. that helps. Sure. Because you go, okay, you know, I know maybe something new will work. And I, I have the courage to take that leap. Or I won't default to all the stuff I know until the last possible minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. In which case, like, okay, nothing's working. I'll, just, being I'll follow yeah. a banana peel. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of rehearsal processes, um, what for you, uh, you mentioned they're getting shorter. What would the ideal one be like? Uh, the ideal day would include a shorter day in and of itself. So not a straight 10 out of, so not a straight eight out of 10. Right. Because I get tired. Uh, maybe when I was younger, I didn't, uh, but now I do. Mm-hmm. And I like to have time to take, go outside of rehearsal, ruminate about what has happened, think about it and work on it. On my own. Right. So for me, it's a straight six uh-huh. um, uh, because I like the extra time to sort of think about it. Also, I have the energy and the focus for six hours straight. Right. If I, and I can go four, but then as soon as you bring in a two-hour dinner or lunch, the second four, it takes me about a half an hour to come back from dinner. Right. And yeah. then I've got about two hours and then I start thinking, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> so really, you're only getting six hours out of me yeah, anyway. Regardless. So we well, might as well just good. encapsulate and then I can use that other time in the day for working on it on my own, for letting it gestate. Uh, and I also, I also do like long periods. I do. I mean, ideally, I think now, essentially, most theaters... Uh, are three weeks, right? They're, they're, maybe, that, they're, yeah. they're like two and a half weeks of rehearsal, about a half a week of tech, tech. and then they're up and running. Up and I, I, I would love a five week so that it's four weeks of rehearsal and then a week, a week of tech and then you're in. Yeah. That would be ideal. But that's, you know, that's utopia. It's, hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's harder and harder to pay. Yeah. Keeping on that, um, what is one thing that an actor can do during a rehearsal process that isn't sort of acting based? So it's not that aspect of it, but mm-hmm. it's just... Um, Mm-hmm. I don't know, like high-fiving the stage manager when mm-hmm. you come in or something like that. What is, some, what is one non-art uh, way of improving a rehearsal? I think being calm. You know, rehearsal and the American theater today, everybody wants results. Mm-hmm. Everybody's worried you're not going to give them the result. Everybody's <laughs> worried that the play is not going to be a hit. Mm-hmm. And that worry, whether expressed or not, is always in the room. <laughs> So the best thing an actor can do, I think, is to relax, mm-hmm. find time, find rest, find time to socialize with the cast, find a place to make it not so result-oriented so that the process, the week-to-week and the day-to-day becomes more about the process than about whatever producer, director, energy is in the room going, right. he's not funny yet, he's not funny yet, I thought he was funny, I thought he was going to be funny. So that you can <laughs> let all that go right. so that it's more of a general process because to me... A relaxed and rested actor, comfortable with the people in the room, is the one who will give, give you results. Now, I've seen you do um, comedies, you've done dramas, you've been over the board. I know you as kind of a... I think of you as somewhat of a technician in terms of comedy. Okay. Uh, well, that's an honor coming from you. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> uh, what advice would you give to somebody approaching a comedic piece? I, I would say in one sentence is just to take it very seriously. I mean, uh-huh. it almost applies to all comedy. It really does almost apply to everything, farce, anything. The more seriously you take, let the words will do their work. And right. if you're taking those words dreadfully seriously, <laughs> I think that's a pretty good general rule uh-huh. for being that you will you will be funnier. Just I mean, that's just a nice general wash. The more the serious you take it, the funnier you will be. 
So then, what do you think is the main difference between um, comedic and dramatic acting? As we I just said, you know, a yeah. lot of people think, oh, yeah. comedy, it's more technical. Yeah. People have said that comedy is tragedy plus time. If we, <laughs> if we assume that our playwright is aware of time mm-hmm. and has written a play rhythmically with time in mind, then you can play it as a tragedy and it will be funny. And, and it, let's look at the converse of that or, yeah. the, or the reverse of that. Have you ever gone to a play... And they're doing tragedy, but they're doing it really bad so that it's funny. Yes. Yes. So what, exactly. <laughs> so what is it? So then we have to think, okay, if, if it's tragedy plus time, well, there's a great example of what comedy is, right? right. Bad tragedy. Yeah. Well, what is bad tragedy? And, I, and I, would, I would posit that part of bad tragedy is a bad use of time. <laughs> like not, not factoring time into your tragedy acting. You play it as seriously as you can with the awareness that time will make it funny. Because I was just talking to somebody playing, um, playing in Tartuffe. She's playing the young ingenue. I can't remember the name of it. And she has a scene with Valère. Okay? Mm-hmm. And they play this scene deadly seriously. Now it's written by Moliere and there's a funny twist about right. it. But part of it is that it all happens in this incredibly short amount of time. Right. So normally a scene, a, a, a drama mm-hmm. or a tragedy... These emotions would unfold over the course of a you know good amount of time, so that we 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 understand how how factors have been influencing these people. Instead, Moliere gives them two minutes to play a scene, which really should take an hour. <laughs> so that's funny. inherently funny. Yes, yeah, is. the element of time provided by the playwright, insisted upon hopefully by the director, should allow you to play it tragically. Right. So what's the difference? Time, I think. Right. In the end, it takes us back to that original quote, which is tragedy plus time, um, and we we count on the playwrights to uh, give us that time. Um, Speaking of time, there's always been um, a sort of assumption that timing is everything in comedy. How do you approach the finding your timing? Mm. Is it it something that you have kind of innate in you, you just kind of know the rhythms, uh, or is it something that you think can be learned Mm. or taught? I do think it can be taught in, the, in some basic elements. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one, two, threes, the pattern right. of the one, two, three, that can be taught. Yeah. And if you follow that, you will get a laugh. Otherwise, if there's a good director, they can talk you through it. Right. And, frankly, timing changes night to night. Right. You yes, know? that's so true. You, the, you, you've got to factor in the audience. And if, if they're dead in the water, you've just got to play the scene like you, oh, there's always another joke. You yes, know what I mean? Absolutely. We're moving yeah. on. Uh-huh. And you know that. Um, but, 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 but versus an audience that's just going at every joke, and that's a different timing. Right. So it does vary. What is one mistake uh, that you think a lot of actors have made that is just too common and can be uh, sort of hopefully easily remedied? I, I think the biggest mistake that we all make is we underestimate the audience. And, and I'm talking about from the first day of rehearsal. This is where actors push, but it's also where directors do things that are overly obvious. Over, you know, swatting a fly with a sledgehammer. Right. You know, it, we underestimate the audience, and sometimes that, and, and that's another factor of time of rehearsal, where it's like, oh my God, we only have two weeks, so right. we better hit this joke really hard. <laughs> yeah. Better make that face, or whatever it is. And, and I think that's the biggest mistake, and it's easily remedied, because we just have to realize that most audience members are smarter than we are. <laughs> now they may be intoxicated. Maybe <laughs> they may be a, they may be very old and they can't hear. Right. But they're really generally theater goers are smart people, well educated, and right. I think we need to honor that more and recognize that they'll pretty much get it. Right. Uh, the biggest mistake we all tend to make is we overdo something and overhit something or mm-hmm. overstress something, and they, we don't need it. Um, what is one 
awesome trait, and it doesn't have to be artistic. It can just be like this person always comes in, like I said, high five stage manager. I don't yeah. know. Uh, what's one great thing that you wish was more prevalent amongst actors? You know, I've always thought, and I still think it's true, that that the theater and acting uh, attract the, attracts the best people and the worst people, <laughs> but but very few people in between. Uh-huh. Like it attracts wonderfully articulate, charming, beautiful people with great brains, and it attracts sort of narcissistic, you know, users and people trying to, just who are on the fringes of society, almost grifters. <laughs> so, so... Rehearsed with a number so of them, yes. The good people, mm-hmm. and I, of which I think the vast majority are, um, is the wonderful empathy. The gen- a general yes. sense of kindness and empathy for yeah, one's Yeah, or just a real, artist, yeah. real ability to put, in, in just in other people, walking mm-hmm. down the street, you know, just a real sense of, I know how that person must feel, right? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this checkout person, they must have had a terrible day. Right. Or, you know, whatever it is, that ability to empathize, right. which is key to being a good actor, I think. What things that have nothing to do with theater... Um, or that at least aren't directly connected, uh, do you think can be studied or yeah. looked at or taken into account that could add, add to one's art? The three fields of study that would, at any time, I think really approve an actor would be history, mm-hmm. psychology, and um, creative writing, whether you're going to do it or read it. Right. Like, like you could take a class, like study of the 20th century fiction novel, just read great novels. Mm-hmm. All those three things would have direct, immediate would improve you as an actor. Right. Uh, here's an easy question to finish. Uh, where do you think the American theater is headed? Into that <laughs> where are we going? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think it's headed in, de- depending where you are and depending what the theater is for the community, it's all different, you know. Right. We see where Broadway's headed and right. you, can't, you can't get in. You know, if you're in New York now, you really can't be a part of the cast unless you're on TV. That's huh. just a whole new thing. You could right. be, you can understudy. Right. But if you're looking at a show on Broadway, even off Broadway, if you don't have TV credits, and if you don't have some form of name, it's unlikely you're going to get a really good role in an off Broadway play. Huh. You might work off off Broadway, and you can very easily be an understudy, and right. you can understudy Broadway. Yeah. But you got to be a TV person. So that you know that the That's commercial the theater in New York has gone that way mm-hmm. without a doubt. And my friends in New York say, you know, the first question are out of town friends will say, hey, you should see this show. And they say, who's in it? Right. Well, that shouldn't be the first question they ask. Exactly. The first question they say, like, wow, What's is it a great it? play? Yeah. Who wrote it? <laughs> uh, you know, did it win a Tony? You know, no, <laughs> it's who's in it? You know, what TV star can I see? And right. that kind of gets back to your question about being vital because yeah. they want to be in the same room with that person. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the strength of theater. Sure. But we're bastardizing it to sell tickets. Right. So that's happening in New York. And that's happening to a small degree elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I think the theater is also, there are places where, of course, it's being reduced and reduced and reduced. Right. Shorter season, all the rest. So, unfortunately, right now, I think the pendulum has swung nationwide, maybe because of the Great Recession, mm-hmm. to a place of reduction. Um it goes against my feeling that the theater is vital because I do think it is. I think we're going to see the pendulum swing back because, and maybe it's going to come back in terms of smaller cash shows, and, right. but more of them, uh, smaller theaters, but lower ticket prices. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, 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 but it's, but it's needed, you know, storytelling is needed and, and breathing the same air with people, whether they're famous or not right. has value. And when it's a good experience, it's a good experience. Like no movie can ever be. Right. It really is. You don't get the same Bafo special effects or, 
fabulously beautiful people, but you do get something that really can impact you in a way that, that movies don't. Right. And shared and make you think and, and, and make you think about it for days and days and days later. Sam, thanks for your time. Thank you. I'm sorry I talk so much. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening. I would like to once again thank Sam Greger for being such a great guest. And I'd like to mention that the theme music for the Tommy Knocker tapes is generously provided by the band Forebear, who, if you like what you hear, you can find more at F O R E B E A R dot L A.